Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode, as usual, is brought to you by 40 Strategy. It is built to make strategy work for CEOs and entrepreneurs by helping them designing world-class strategic plans, but more importantly, help keeping them accountable to actually get it done. If you'd like to learn more, go to 40strategy.com. This is a different episode. This is our giving series episodes that we have going on right now. As you may know, we like to give. And, and before we talk about what we give, I recommend a gift that you give, give to others right now is buying our book, Lost at CEO, which is an Amazon bestseller. I encourage you to go and you can find it on amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com or Audible. It'd be a great gift for somebody that you know who is a leader and looking to make a difference in their world. But we like to also talk about who we're talking about today and one of the really special organizations that we continue to give our first 10% of revenue towards, Opportunity International is one of these organizations. Mark Lutz, who is with us today, who is the author of Unpoverty, is going to share his stories of how he's been able to help uh, be a part of this organization, of how they've been able to literally contribute throughout the world with very special way of doing it that's pretty unique in the way of, of creating real capitalism, but real giving and a real hope for people who typically ha don't have hope. And, and with that, uh, Mark, I'm actually want to give you the chair right now to talk a little bit deeper, because once again, you have such an interesting story and history behind what you do. I'd love you to share, to start with, Talk about Opportunity International for those who aren't familiar with it. What's your core mission and how do you actually work on getting that done? Thanks, Carl. We're an international organization, a not-for-profit, global, and um, our purpose is to alleviate extreme poverty in the world. Um, we have a mission of providing financial services because it's a financial um, challenge. And those services are like loans and savings, obviously, but also training and um, support. If you don't have those three ingredients, um, it's very, very difficult to, to bring the poorest people in the world up out of poverty. So our goal is to, is to bring financial services to the very poorest of the people to empower them. Now yourself, and go through, if you wouldn't mind, share a little bit about, because you've been working with Opportunity National, a significant part of your life. And I think one of the things I loved what you said when we were having our prep conversation about this is you wouldn't chosen any other thing. This is, this is for you has been, you're so grateful. And you don't hear that very often where somebody goes back and says, this is exactly what I should have been doing in my past if I would have made this decision all over again. Why is that true for you? You know, that, to say something like that is pretty profound. You know, why for you has it been such a difference to be with Opportunity International and make a difference with them? Well, I, I grew up in South Africa under apartheid, and I think that was the germ that uh, kind of just fostered over the years. I didn't know it, but you know, living under apartheid, where 
you know, 25% of the population made all the rules, owned all the land. And I was one of those privileged people. And my parents were there as missionaries. And though they had zero tolerance for racism of any kind, um, and they would bend every unjust law short of being deported, there was really virtually nothing being done about extreme poverty. Um, the, fo the focus was on eternity, what happens after life, and uh, helping people in that regard. But in the meanwhile, people were, were living on just a couple bucks a day. And so that was the start for me, I think, and it, it, just, um, it just grew in me that I just felt, how do we bring about change for these people that for no fault of their own, just by virtue of where they were born, they're on this treadmill of generational poverty that they inherited from their parents and they're going to pass it on to their kids and grandkids. They can't get off. And so my, I, th I think when I was in grad school, um, I was trying to decide, do I follow my parents as a missionary with that as an objective or do I go into business and entrepreneurial? I was, I was always been very entrepreneurial and make a lot of money and then give it. And it was in grad school that the light went on. Aha, I could leverage other people's money for important justice issues. And so that's why I went into fundraising for, not for opportunity. And what I love about it is that the money that's given and spent just keeps coming back. It just keeps, because it, it goes out as loans. We're not making any handouts to anybody. This is not a charity where you give away. It's a, it's a it's a loan comes back with interest and goes out and helps somebody else. So people keep coming out of poverty. So describe that in a little bit more detail, people, because the people trying to probably figure out who are listening who aren't familiar with something like this. What is an example of one of these micro loans, and and what would somebody be using it for in a third world or a developing country? Uh, to be able to do it and make a change in these extreme uh, impoverished areas. Yeah. Well, our loans, first-time loans are about $300. It's not a lot of money. So what do you do with that? Somebody buys some vegetables and opens up a vegetable stand and starts selling vegetables. They pay back that loan six months later. And they take out a little larger loan. Maybe this time they get $400. Now they might start selling bread and hiring somebody to go out and sell bread. Next thing you know, after next loan, they bought a little oven with their, with their loan, and now they're making bread. And um, I've watched this serial entrepreneur um, in Zimbabwe go from that type of um, innovation to the next. And she, she started out just selling vegetables. She was then a hair, she had a hairdresser, going on in her house. She converted one little room of her house into a beauty salon. She hired a couple of women in her, in her neighborhood to come in and cut hair. But that loan was paid off. She then, uh, oh, she bought a, uh, uh, um, uh, she, she, she set up this, like a game room on, on the side of her house. She built this little shed and she invited the kids to come in and she had some old foosball games and outdated arcade games. And she, 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 she rent out her space. When that loan was paid off, she bought a deep freezer and she would, every night she'd fill little baggies full of different flavored fruit juice and she'd 
seal it shut over a candle and throw it in the freezer. And the next day she'd sell popsicles for a couple pennies to these kids as they're walking home from school. You know, the last time I, I saw her, she was, she was the Coca-Cola distributor for her community. And she would buy Coca-Cola um, in, in the, the crates and then she would sell it to others and they'd sell it on the streets. And now she was looking for a loan to buy an old truck that she was going to turn into a delivery vehicle for a Coke business, but also um, it was going to be a hearse. Because at that time, AIDS was so prevalent. The average, the, the life expectancy at that time in Zimbabwe was 32 years. Oh, wow. And so she had converted part of her house and selling coffins. And that was her business. So it all starts small and it, and it progresses as, as, as these entrepreneurs do more with, with what they have. And that's remarkable. Just for that concept of just $300, right? Can turn start. into somebody distributing, right? And there are two things. I mean, I, that you have the example you had right there of dissolving Coca Cola, but also how, how dissolving hearses, right? You know, I mean, like helping out with helping to people, being a hearse, meaning a vehicle, right? To help out with people who are, who are passing away. How tragic, right? To be in an environment like that when you're seeing people dying so young uh, so quickly uh, in that area. So, with some of the other pieces, uh, one of the things you, in our prep call, you talked about India and, and there was an example you provided to me that really, to me, helped hit home for me because loans, when capitalism starts working, it doesn't just help them provide a standard of living. It changes who they are and their confidence in their lives. If you would be kind enough, and I know it's in your book as well on poverty and encourage, I'm going to hold up his book, anyone who's listening on YouTube um, or watching YouTube, Unpoverty, once again, by Mark Lutz. And it does a great, once again, example, these wonderful stories throughout the book. But if you could share the one uh, in particular in India where um, one of the, there was a group of women who helped get some loans and, and the impact that they made on their life. Okay. The, the, the book Unpoverty, the subtitle is Rich Lessons from the Working Poor. And it's, it's the stories of these remarkable people that I wanted to share with, with others because they are rich in areas where I'm bankrupt. And even though they're impoverished, they have tremendous lessons for me about life. So each chapter is a different lesson that I'm learning from them. And each lesson is illustrated by these people. So this is the story from out of the chapter on community. So come with me, if you will, to, uh, to India. We're walking through a slum. Picture there are thousands of people, no roads, just dirt footpaths meandering through this ghetto, like ivy that grows up the side of a building, and open trenches with raw sewage because there's no drainages or anything. We get to this uh, community center that's uh, right in the middle, one room. No glass, no screens over the open windows, no furniture whatsoever, concrete floor, no carpet. And the 25 women are already there. They're having their weekly meeting. And uh, they knew we were coming from America and that we were coming to visit them and see what was going on. And so I had the privilege of sitting through this meeting. 
And um, they were so proud to tell us one of the things that they had done as a group because there was no electricity in their community except for one lone pole. And so everybody was pirating electricity from that one pole. And these aren't union electricians. These are people who just, you know, they're splicing into an already spliced splice and getting some electricity to, to get a light bulb in their house. And, you know, each time they do that, it starts drooping a little lower. And they're concerned that, you know, one of their kids might touch one of these wires or a ball kicked too high could shoot the whole tangle down to where the kids are playing below. This this pole looked like an appended bowl of, of angel hair spaghetti just with tentacles going everywhere. And they were so proud. They took out this piece of paper and they showed me because they signed a petition and they brought the newspaper to come out and take a picture of that poll. And the newspaper ran this article. And shortly thereafter, the city came in and ran a line to every one of the homes in that community. And these women had done it. And they were so proud. And they showed me this picture in this old yellow newspaper um, because they had brought power. And that's what community offers. It offers power. And so during the course of this meeting, um, one of the women was selected to be the spokesperson. And her name was Makina, about 25 years old. And she was having this debate with the person who was running the program. His name was Solomon. And um, we were all sitting on the floor and listening. And I was being helped by an interpreter to see what's going on. So this is, this is the conversation that was going on between Monika, who was the spokesperson for this group of 25, and Solomon. So Monika says to me, you know, sir, we, we would like to get our next round of credit today so that we can expand our businesses. And uh, Solomon says, well, you, you, you know the rules. You can't get your next round until everybody is current on their loan. And Monika says, well, you know, everybody's paid back their loan and their interest except for one. And, and he says, well, you know, that's not good enough until everybody is current. Nobody gets their loans. And so Monika's getting a little bit agitated. She says, well, you know what happened. And uh, she bought a milk cow and was selling milk and the cow died. And he said, well, well, that's most unfortunate. But we told you she should take an out insurance on the cow. Monika. Well, she didn't. And the cow's dead. She can't sell milk. So how do you expect her to pay back her loan? She's, she's going on like this for about 15 minutes. And finally, all the other women chipped in and paid up her, made her, made her good on her loan. And so then everybody could get their next loan and expand their business. But it, this is where the story got real for me because um, we, we were invited back to Makina's house afterwards. And so Solomon and I were walking behind her and he was telling me how pleased he was with that interchange. Because about two years ago, when she came into his office to apply for a loan, she couldn't even look him in the eye. Her self-esteem was so low, she could not even raise her head. And he was so pleased because here's this aggressive, confident young woman today that has been transformed by this community. So we get to her house, we meet her mother, and uh, she then tells me the backstory. The mother, we go to this little house, it's about 20 feet by 20 feet. And it's just divided in half with a curtain, you know, just a sheet hanging. 
and on the on the one side is the uh, serves as their, their kitchen, their eating area, and Monika sleeps there, and her mother sleeps there. And at that time, earlier, her two sisters slept there. So there was four on that side, and on this side of the curtain was her brother, who's now bedridden, and his wife, and their two kids. And he had been the sole breadwinner for this clan of eight, but he was working in the sweatshop and the inhumane conditions destroyed his health. And so they had to let him go and he couldn't, he couldn't work and he was in bed. And so now they didn't know what to do because he was the only source of revenue for this family. There's no, there's no um, welfare programs, food stamps, safety nets for the poor. If you don't work, you don't eat. It's just that simple. And so these two sisters of Manika's did the only thing they knew to help out this impoverished family. And they doused each other with gasoline and struck a match. And it was that horrific suicide by her sisters that gave Manika the impetus to go to Solomon's office and ask for a loan of $100 to buy this old, used, uh, rice grinder. It's called a wet grinder. And she would then grind the rice for the people in her community. And they would make flour and they'd do their cooking. And it was through that loan that she was able to support this family of six because she was now the only one. And that to me was, you know, community empowers the group, but community gives confidence to the hopeless who would otherwise give up and not have any chance of, of, of getting out of poverty. That is such a powerful story. Uh, so many different ways, right? You have the, the opportunity, but then you also have the sacrifice that those sisters made, right? They, they sacrificed themselves so the rest of the family could could have more i mean it's just how awful and you also i think something else you said there as well is that we often in developed countries don't understand who are, who are well advanced of our excess meaning when things go wrong there is unemployment right there is some form of welfare or food stamps or social security or something right that's there and enabled perhaps there's even health care that's available but in these countries that are don't have, there is nothing right when you are out of earning you have you don't eat it's just that black and white right in those those particular situations but it's interesting how that created her need right to finally make change to 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 make sure that that it that that wasn't going to continue down that cycle right of hopelessness Today, how much today, I mean, it's pretty remarkable to me, how much in total dollars roughly is being loaned by Opportunity National? And then secondly, how many actual loans are there roughly that are out there? Like how many people are benefiting from these loans that are out there? Yeah. Well, Opportunity made a, sh a pivot about five years ago. We used to own our own banks. And so we would raise money. That was my job is raising money. We'd raise money and then that money was loaned out. We were loaning out maybe four or 500,000, over 500 million. 
we switched that model a few years ago to a partnership model where we now we have minority share ownership in some of these banks, but we're able to leverage. We've we've convinced, we've demonstrated, we've proven the model to to the commercial banks, and so the commercial banks are willing to now loan to people that never would have been able to give it a loan before. So through this model, last year we loaned out $2.7 billion. Wow. And our our average first time loan is about 300 bucks. So that is a lot of people. And uh, I know your, your focus here, Carl, is how do you measure success? And to a great extent, that's how our business measures success is how many loans did we get out? How many people did we help? And, uh, you know, 18.7 million people last year were helped by our services. 97% of those loans were paid back. That's a measurement that we have to look at because otherwise it's a giveaway program, just like all, so many other charities. Another measurement we have of success happens to be the same percentage. 97% of our recipients are women. And to us, that's a that's an indicator of success because women are the most marginalized, the most left out. They work extremely hard. They have to run the families. And we find that the women, the money stays in the family and helps boost up the quality for the whole family. Women are also better risks. We get better return. So uh, for a lot of reasons, but primarily because women are the most marginalized. And when Jesus tells us, if you love me, Mark, go out and take care of the least of these. That's what he said in his very last instruction to his followers. If you love me, show it by loving the least. And the least are women in the developing world. There's so many stories in the book. If, if you'd be kind enough, share another one of these stories to you that, once again, puts in to the change that ends up happening as a result, right, of, of getting more loans. Like the India uh, story you shared beforehand is, is remarkable. What is one of the other ones that really are, are so memorable for you, right, that for, for others might, once again, be a really profound story? So there's this um, woman in the Philippines. She's 72 years old. Her name's Lola. She lives in a hovel. I couldn't even stand up in that hovel. She shares it with five other squatters. She has nobody to care for her. At 72, she's she should be retiring. She's worked her whole life. You don't work, you don't eat. It's like we've been saying. She had to work. So her job was going around and going through the garbage and taking um, used glass jars, food jars. And then she'd sit and scrape off the labels and clean them. She'd cut a hole in the top. She'd put a little wick in the middle and she'd sell lanterns. She'd put a little metal strap around it so that she could carry it. And she'd sell these lanterns for 25 cents or so. And I'm telling you, Carl, there was not a thing in that environment that I would want. Want there's nothing to be thankful for. 
nothing. It stank. There was no privacy. There was no cleanliness. She'd relieve herself in a pot and she'd pour it out into this trench that's right outside the front door that captures the trench, the feces from the neighbors, thousands of them. And yet this woman was so full of happiness and grateful for the loan that she got from us for $50. That's the difference that I see as a result of what we provide. It gives people hope. And I asked her, well, what, what did you do with $50? And why would you be happy today when your life is like this? And she explained to me in just one second, because I didn't know you were going to ask me to tell this story. So I didn't, I didn't have it ready. But this is the lantern that Lola made for me while I sat there and listened to her story. This is what she sells for about a quarter. She gave it to me because gratitude trumps profit. That she could have sold this. And I wanted to understand why she was so grateful. And she said, you know, Mark, before I used to have to go to everybody's garbage, rifle through it and clean off their mess and then make my lanterns. She said, with that $50 loan, I had a recycling company bring a big bag of clean jars and put them on my doorstep. Mm. I just got the whole day to go out and sell but the that's the one of the the lessons I learned from the poor is their gratitude. Um, and I go home and I think I've got a lawn to mow. She doesn't have grass. I've got lights to fix. She doesn't have lights. I've got an insurance policy. I've got credit cards. She doesn't have any of this. I got a dentist. She had no teeth in the front. Um, if mine fall out, I got a dentist. I you know I get. This litany of, of provisions that are mine. Why? Because I was born in the United States. And why doesn't she have them? Because she was born in a slum in the Philippines. That's the only reason. And yet she's grateful for what she has. And I struggle to be grateful. And so I have really asked God to help me to take Lola's gratitude and make it a part of my life and live my life out of gratitude for all the undeserved blessings and pleasures that I have. Yes. So these, these are speechless type stories for me when I, when I listen to this. And I think that for those who are hopefully listening, hopefully you can reflect, here we are in this giving season right once again this is this is going to be released in this period of time and when we are concerned about waiting in line to buy a gift when we're concerned about um perhaps five dollar gasoline or four dollar gasoline depending on where you're at in the country these are we can you know for the most part we are able to have those opportunities to worry about traffic, meaning being able to drive, actually have a vehicle to go into places versus just the simple aspect of 
being grateful that that you're getting used chars out of recycling to be able to sell that for 25 cents a piece so you can help provide for your basic necessities and the simplicity of being grateful. I mean, it's such a secret of happiness, right? Is that you can have all the things in the world, but if you aren't grateful, you could still be have nothing, right? And, and if you don't give love, you still will not be happy and be grateful. Um, I, I think it's so powerful. I'm curious, you know, what's amazing is where it has become. This is once again, what Opportunity Nationally does for me and, and to be able a small part of giving towards you all to help do that. Help us understand for those who are thinking about giving towards Opportunity International, how does their dollars go into Opportunity International to help continue the positive effect so you can continue to do what you're doing? Thanks for asking the question, Carl, because everything that we do is dependent upon donations. We don't have a widget to sell and um, we're a not-for-profit organization. So when a dollar comes in, often when you make a donation to a charity, you're concerned, okay, what percentage of my money is gonna end up doing the service that I wanted, that I'm giving it for? And what percentage is kept by that organization for overhead and for fundraising? Good question to ask. But at Opportunity, we're able to take that question and turn it on its head. Because when you give a dollar to Opportunity, it's not what percentage goes up. Every dollar that comes in, $10 ends up in the hands of the poor. Wow. And that's because of the partnership leverage that we do through the banks. We, we're able to use the donated dollars to provide the wraparound services that the banks can't provide in order for these little businesses to be profitable and successful. Like by just giving them a loan, they're, they're not going to get their money back, let alone make any money on it. And the bank of course exists to make money. So we say we, we contract with the bank, you provide them the capital to people that you would heretofore never lend to. And we will make sure that they're successful. We provide training. We provide um, uh, counsel. We provide weekly meetings where these, these people are required to come. Um, farmers, they have um, agents. We train farm agents that are one of them. Um, and they train the other farmers on best practices in farming so that their crops provide more, grow more. And then we put those farmers into co-ops so that they collect their money together and they can sell it at a much better price. So they get profit on the back end because of the fertilizer they buy with the loan on the front end. They get more money, they get more crop. But all those services the bank can't provide, they just provide the credit. And that's why we take in a dollar and we put out $10 in services. That's powerful. So you, you do that one simple illustration of, of the multiplier effect, right? In terms of being able to give out, creating source for wealth, training. I, I loved how you talked about that because I think we see that a lot in any country, handouts. And, and we get concerned there might be somebody with a sign in the, in the corner of the street. And our concern is they're, they're taking that money and maybe perhaps using it, unfortunately, for alcohol, for drugs or something that is something that we didn't intend, right? When, when we might have a give out that's happening. But in these cases, money is being distributed, but they're being coached, getting life 
lessons on how to properly manage and get a night and in the case you talked about a 97% likelihood that they will not only be be successful pay back their loans but then they're going to have the multiplier effect in their own community is that is that fair to say and correct absolutely and all of these people that are receiving our loans they're not shopping in the in the mall these people most of them have never been in an air conditioned grocery store in their life and never will everything is done on the street they barter from each other they trade they buy from each other one woman makes sandals with her profits she buys a little pot and pan from the lady next door who makes pots out of metal. And then she buys, with her profits, she buys oranges from this lady who sells vegetables. And capitalism just grows in these communities. Um, and everybody's paying back their loan. 97% of them are paying back their loans so that the money's going out again to somebody else so that they can join this wave. It's remarkable how far we have come. You know, Carl, I think sometimes we kind of give up on, on the poor. We say, you know, it's always going to be like this. It doesn't have to be like this. This kind of poverty is yesterday's Berlin Wall. It doesn't have to be. It won't always be there. And we have made remarkable strides in eradicating extreme poverty. Granted, COVID set us back a bit. But, um, you know, it's possible that in our lifetime, there'll be nobody left living on $2 a day. It shouldn't be. It doesn't have to be. And, and you shared with me earlier, um, not, not in this podcast, but previously, what has been the change over even just your period? And I know, once again, you're just one piece of uh, significant efforts that they're doing to help people be more sexual. But what has been the decrease in this impoverished area, how, how much has that decreased over the past 30 years, uh, 30, 40 years? Okay. When Opportunity International started 50 years ago, there were three and a half billion people in the world. 1.4 billion people were living on less than $2 a day in extreme poverty. Half of, half of the world was living in extreme poverty across Africa, Latin America, across Asia, parts of Eastern Europe. You know that today we are seven, approaching eight billion people. There's less than one billion people living on $2 a day. Mm. So we have removed so many people. And for the first time in the world's history, the scourge of extreme poverty is gripping less than 10% of humanity. We've got a little way to go. It's the toughest part sometimes, crossing that finish line. But by God's grace and the help of a lot of people and strategic efforts, we can end extreme poverty during our lifetime. Yeah, that's a, that is a powerful lesson. And if I'm, I don't know if this is the fair math to do, but you were saying often these loans are averaging $300. So if somebody donates $30, that almost had, does that literally have the equivalent of being able to help give out a $300 loan? Is that how the math works? That's how the math works. Yeah. Because we don't do, we don't put every dollar into loans. We do a lot of it into the services that they need. 
the, the combined package that's, that's required for them to be successful. But yes, a, th a $30 donation will put $300 in the hands of the poor. Yes. So for those who are listening, and, and this is, you know, this is that part I feel very comfortable with because it, once again, we, we give to those organizations that we partner with those organizations that we know that are making a profound long-term effect, not only today, but in the future. They have in the past, they're doing it today and they're going to be in the future as well. And then Mark would not be on today in Opportunity National. We've had them speak beforehand. We would not have them on if it wasn't such a valuable and relevant contribution. But this is exciting news. You give $30, you help one person out there be able to have a loan that can change their whole opportunity in their life. And, and so, and then just think about that. If you are willing to give more than that, every $30 increment, you help out another family effectively, you know, and the, and the difference. And now, once again, it's not just necessarily one family. It could be like, as, as Mark was mentioned earlier, it could be eight people, it could be 10 people, it could be 12 people. And then the impact on that person's lives of where they have more joy because they're able to live with a little bit more gratefulness, perhaps a lot more gratefulness because of the challenges they had in the past have changed because of their ability to get access to capital and to actually have a, point, a feeling of success, right? There's a feeling of success when you pay back a loan and you could ask to get back another one. I think that's just what's absolutely remarkable once again, the Opportunity National. So Mark, if you can share for those who are listening, where, how do they, what is the website for Opportunity National? What is the best way to connect so people can, as they're considering their philanthropy and giving for this uh, here in 2023 or anytime here in the future, if you happen to listen to this later on, what's the best way of, of considering to go out and donate? Well, our website is www.opportunity.org. Very simple. And if you go there, you can donate and you can scroll through various countries that you'd like, that you're most interested in, or if you want to focus on women and emancipating uh, impoverished women, um, there's that option. There's just many different options that you can, you can go to. There's also uh, a newly started monthly program where you can sign up to make a, a monthly contribution. Um, and that'll all just become automatic. It's www.opportunity.org. And my website is unpoverty.org. If you want to learn more and, or see, um, it, you'll be directed from there into opportunity because the whole purpose of it is to, is to drive revenue through opportunity to these very, very poor people. No, I, I encourage you once again, I also encourage you if you don't have, have not read Mark's book beforehand on poverty it is um it's a it's a special book it once again it has these stories that he has experienced and seen and, and been with uh real real impact real stories and and just showing how their mission is having an extraordinary difference mark um before we we have to part on our show just due to the constraints of time is there anything else you just like to share with our audience that that's on your heart to to share with them Carl, I'd, I'd hitchhike on what you said about um, the people who get these loans and get this opportunity. Their gratitude skyrockets, but so does their dignity. Because when you, 
if if a woman is so impoverished, so hungry that she can't produce enough milk to feed her crying infant, and you offer a loaf of bread, well, she's going to take it. But every time she reaches out her hand to take that bread, she exchanges a portion of her dignity. But when you give somebody a loan and they start a business and they feed their family, their self-esteem goes up and their hope goes up and their dignity goes up. If you don't have hope, you're going to stay on that treadmill forever. And you're going to pass that treadmill on to your kids and they're going to stay on generational poverty. But if you have hope that you can do something and you're given an opportunity to do it, and you have the dignity that comes from it, there's no limit to what you can accomplish. Amen. And and thank you, Mark. I just, I think it's, once again, I I'm so grateful for how you have found your calling, right? And in, in your life to help be a part of, of Opportunity International and all the people that have just done an amazing job of helping to dedicate and make a difference and, and uh, create real value in the world. And, and I love this concept of really trying to eliminate, eradicate, right? This poverty, this extreme poverty that's throughout the world. And, and so once again, I just encourage you to do that. Mark, thank you so much for being a guest on the Measure Size podcast during our giving season that we have here today. You're welcome. Thank you, Carl, for having us. And to everyone else who's listening, Oh, once again, the action is about giving. This is once again, I encourage you to go out. Um, often I would say, do a like or do a podcast or do something like that. I, I want you to stop. I want you to go right now to opportunity.org and, and give a donation because it's going to make an extraordinary difference. And with that, as we always like to say, wishing you the very best and measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.